the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Welcome to Healthcare Now with your hosts, Larry Jones and Dr. Mark Shayat. Want to become an educated healthcare consumer? Then join our discussion about all things healthcare and understand how to navigate our complex U.S. healthcare system. Now, let's join our hosts in the Healthcare Now studios. Welcome to Healthcare Now. This is Dr. Mark. I'm here with Larry Jones, and we have a guest today, Larry. We do. Good to see you, Dr. Mark. Glad to be with you again. Yeah, Ken Peach, Executive Director of the Health Council of East Central Florida, is joining us today. Welcome, Ken. Welcome back, Ken. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, Yeah, Ken's actually been on the show a couple times. Yes, indeed, indeed. No, we love having you, and uh, you know, I know you're going to be able to jump right into our conversation and add to it, and uh, it's always very exciting. So, Ken and and listeners, we've been going over our predictions of of what's coming for 2023, right? And we've got a couple of shows into that, and I think we had eleven. We had eleven points on about. Point seven or eight. Point seven or eight. And, and, you know, if we don't make it to 11, you know, we'll make it a top nine list, whatever it is. But, you know, we had mentioned one, and we've got some updated news on on that prediction, right? Actually, breaking news, Dr. Mark. You know, we had talked about the national public emergency would be ending sometime, and originally it was March 11th. Well, now it's been extended to May 11th and by the Biden administration, and it looks like that's going to be official. Official, so end of end of end. End of, of end. end, March 11th, uh, right. May 11th, I'm sorry. So but there what, are a what's lot, that going to mean? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, well, first of all, during the last two years, mm-hmm. everybody that was qualified for Medicaid got to stay on the program and get the Medicaid benefits. Right. Without and, having to re-up every month right, like they normally re-qualify. have. Pre-qualify, in other words, yep. if your income tripled, you could still stay on Medicaid right. for these two years. Right, because they didn't ask. Well, just to give basically. you an idea... As you know, there are over 85 million people on Medicaid in this country. We don't have a number on what it is today because I can tell you, just in Florida, yeah, no way to know. during that two-year period, Medicaid went from 1.7 to 3.8 million uh, Medicare recipients. Yep, yep. Just, just in our own state. And yep. the thing, in, and I think Ken's got some thoughts on this, but the first thing that's going to happen, all those people that are on Medicaid that don't qualify mm-hmm. for the month of April, I mean, uh, it'd be May, June. June, yeah. They're off the end of May. Yeah, and and are they even going to yeah. know? Because I can tell you, yeah. they're not. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we saw that in my office when you had to go in month after yeah. month. Yeah. If I saw a patient and scheduled them yeah. for two months yeah. from that, yeah. that, they they might not be on, and they just right. didn't know. Well, the biggest concern, and, and Ken, I want you to jump in here in a second. The biggest concern is yes, these people are going to lose their coverage, but how many physicians are going to get a Pre, pre-approval, pre-approval, right. and then it's denied the claim. Sure, sure. That's no. my concern. Yeah, and and that's that's definitely going to happen. Yeah, and we have the Can, marketplace program here, the navigators, sure. and they're stepping it up. Um, I'm on the board of the Primary Care Access Network that oversees uh-huh. that particular grant and program, mm-hmm. and that's a big concern right now. Yeah. Is is you know do we have enough navigators out yeah. there? And you know to are keep we people, prepared? Yeah, keep people yeah. informed. I mean, and, it, it. I really. I mean, I. There's no way. I mean, that's great. They're going to be working 
around yeah. the clock trying to keep up. But yep. with the numbers that we're dealing with, and that's sort of the problem, like when you create these emergency supplements and all these things that, yep. that come in and hold us up, at some point, you're you're pulling the yep. crutch right out from the leg, and the leg hasn't healed yet, you know? Well, aside from the uh, additional need to qualify beginning in June to stay on the Medicaid program, you got a lot of subsidies under the ACA sure. that are tied into this national public emergency as well. And Ken, you want to go over some of the things that you feel could be happening during this program when it ends? Well, I, I think, you know, aside from, as you pointed out, the fact that somebody is off and they don't know it, um, right. you know, I began to think about it. So what are some of the solutions? Right. It, no, the market, marketplace yeah. is certainly a solution. Right. Uh, the Affordable Care Act, when it was um, passed, basically was what I would call an all-in-one. So it, it was all-inclusive, everything from primary care through, as I recall, no limit on the top end right. uh, from an insurance standpoint. If we back up and look at the fact that insurance was always considered asset protection, it's protecting you for what you cannot afford. Right. right. And we look at primary care separate from, um, you know, an inter- entire insurance product. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the fact that we have free clinics and we have federally qualified health clinics in our communities. Yep. Um, there is traditional private practice if you can afford that um, on a yep. cash basis. There's direct primary care, the opportunity for, you know, a fixed amount uh, that provides mm-hmm. access to your yeah. physician, a lot of services. There yeah. are, um, there's actually, I know of one lab locally that'll do, uh, if nothing else, a lab screen. You can go ahead and have that screen done and sure. at least know sure. kind of what your labs look like. You know, there's services like, uh, you may have talked before about the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which is, you know, a cash-based model oh. and, and more and more are beginning to look at that. Um, and if you look at just catastrophic insurance alone, the other thing we're seeing is direct primary care matching up with what are called the medical sharing, the yep. MedShare, yep. the Zion, and others. Yeah, we've actually put into place some direct primary care programs. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and, and getting the word out is probably the hardest part of that because these, these programs are here, and they've been around for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. But getting the word out, that's the tough part. Right. Yeah. Even medications. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the more recent effort with Mark Cuban, uh, Amazon, just mm-hmm. within the last few days has right. announced, you know. So it's not that they're, they're perfect solutions. But I think the answer, really, if we look at this, is to figure out, are there some <laughs> other options? You know, what are some of those options that may be available? Yeah. Certainly the marketplace from the standpoint of, you know, low premiums and so forth. Well, I mean, I think, you know, with the marketplace, our concern is... Right, right now there are lots of zero premiums, but that will go away. That's right, and that's going to be the yeah, and that's going to be right. sticker yes. shock. Yes, yep. because you know you're going to have someone, a client that was on Medicaid, and their friend was in the marketplace, and they're going to go, "Hey, man, I haven't paid anything in two yep. years. Go on to the marketplace," and they're going to go on the marketplace, and they're going to see six hundred dollars per person. That's right, mm-hmm. and they're going to go, "What? What, what am I doing wrong?" Yeah, yes. yeah, and yes. so so this is a, a double whammy. I mean, it's really yep. related. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not, it's, but it's going to hit them twice. Well, and, let me and that tell you what's happening. Issue. I got a call just yesterday mm-hmm. by a national company called AmeriHealth Caritas. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Nope. They're a big Medicaid player nationally. Okay. They're coming into Florida, and you know what they want to do? They want to get into the ACA business because they see exactly what's going to happen to their current Medicaid population. They want to move them right over into an ACA program. And maintain these memberships. So in the state of Florida, the way we have things lined up, 
how does that work out? So, you know, each region has what five providers of the the Medicaid it's usually by HMO, county. yeah, and yep. the, yeah, so a county or two counties, yeah, two or three population, yeah. and so they would have to start in Tallahassee. I, well, I assume. they have applied for every region. Gotcha. And this one, and I had a, I was so, on the sounds phone a lot for, like Molina. It is very similar to Molina and also Centene. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. we'll see if you know if that that does change the model. Okay, and we're seeing that in Medicare, mm-hmm. and we we're seeing success in Medicare on these right, ACOs. Right. So you know that that's going to change the model. That that can that may be an answer, and and it'll be something that has some marketing behind it. But the and, sticker shock is still going to hit them. Oh yeah, Mark, for sure. When they move over oh, for sure. from Medicaid to Medicare, uh, and the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Yeah. The other thing that I think we need to talk about is you got to remember these people use the ER for their primary care. Sure. And currently under a Medicaid program, there's no copay. No. Right. They right. get into an Affordable Care Act, you got a significant copay Absolutely. to go to the ER and get admitted. Yep. So you yep. have that whole re-education process. Right, which is what you you <coughs> spent many, many uh, minutes talking about on the show, is that re-education process and what you do after, which yeah. uh, we, definitely, we definitely need to revisit today, too. Mm-hmm. We'll do that probably in the second or third segment where we kind of have some questions for, for your other organizations. But, right. yeah, that's uh, – I mean, it's going to be – people are going to be up in arms. This is breaking news. This just happened this yeah. week. No, it is. I think uh, on Tuesday the administration uh, announced that uh, May 11th would be the final day. of. They had to give them 60 days right. from when they had originally done – and that was March 11th. So Correct. they gave them the 60 days, and right. now – they have to plan for it. Yep, yep. It's gonna, it's gonna definitely, definitely be be interesting. So we'll see where that goes. All right, what do we got next okay. on our list? Um, you know, we talked about chronic condition management, preventative care. We talked about all that, but the next thing that we had been talking about for a long time, and we've been talking about predictions, is the profits of healthcare stakeholders, Doctor Mark, yeah, and the it, venture capital entry right, into healthcare. Right. Absolutely, and we're going to see more and more sophisticated uh, VC groups. Yep. They get, they get so sophisticated well, that you don't really know that's what they care. are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. You could name a dozen companies yeah. like that. Well, that's and that's not even venture. That's just that's corporate. That's, that's right. corporate dollars yeah. going in, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not even investors kind right. of working with right. that. But yeah, we're definitely going to see uh, that that continue. Yeah. Uh, the VC groups have sort of looked at their models and run numbers and have made it really more favorable for physician practices because they've seen that yep. the model works so well. Initially, they were sort of holding the positions, not hostage, but holding them to contract and saying, you need to stay with us at this rate for five years. And now they're, the VCs are doing so well, they're yep. like, you know what? Stay with us. Uh, yep. yeah, we're not going yep. to decrease your pay. Yep. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk again in five years. Yeah. And but so I think that's going to be interesting. they're pushing some money that isn't going to be sustainable either, Dr. Mark, well, in these venture capital groups to the doctors. Right, but their level of need... Of, of gains is different than others. They just need True. to beat the market. That's right. Because these are investors that are trying to beat, you know, the real estate market or the stock market. So if they beat the market, they win. Yep. So it, they're, it's just measured differently. Right. And right. so also measured differently than somebody's just in an independent yep. business and they they put their own money into it and they're the, the shareholders numbers yep. one. You know, that's a different group. They sure. want, they're they not looking for a 12% return. Yeah, well, we're going to keep an eye on out on these venture takeovers and yeah, uh, that should be interesting. healthcare stakeholders and the profitabilities of these guys. We'll keep a, keep an eye on right. that I mean, as we go through 2023, and I think Dr. Martin. more concerning is is that takeover of primary care by industry groups. Yep. And industry groups there, 
they're not worried about market share. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about profit. They're trying to drive business to their already existing business. Right, right. And that's going to continue. That's, you know, that's yeah. the CMS. That's the Walgreens, the, you know, that, that Walmart. They're all looking to yep. get clients in the door. And these clients have already know their products. And they're adding to that, uh, hey, you know, by the way, this is your access to primary care. Yeah. Ken, what's your take on all this? Um, <clears throat> I'm familiar at least with one uh, VC takeover. You yeah. know, and I know the concern, like anything else, I mean, we saw it with the transition uh, from independent physicians yes. into, you know, hospital-owned, insurance-owned models. And, you know, there's always this other huge party. And I think that's what... Um, in my experience, I've seen physicians move into that model, and then I've seen them move back out. Right, right. Sure. It's a cycle. I mean, there's definitely a cycle that we follow. But that cycle is driven mostly by, as you say, the hospital employment. And so with the VC side, it's, it's very different. They, there's so many different animals in that, in that race. So some of the VC sides are going to make these physicians partners or stockholders, and it may be that kind of thing that, that gives it more of a – a longer run in that pendulum swing. But you're right, I've been in town for nearly 30 years and have seen several swings of hospitals acquiring and hospitals divesting. And it kind of just depends on what, what the what the leadership sees as the right 15-year plan. You know, and, and that's going to be quite different when we see some of these venture capital groups. One of my concerns is in venture capital, they very easily just trade it off to another VC group. And, and you sort of get the, the size of the group increases and the, the net value of the groups increase. But, you know, that, that's kind of the way the business works, even though that's not the way medicine has ever worked. Yeah. Dr. Mark, when we come back, that's a great comment. We're going to talk about a couple of the other predictions for 2023 and then get into some pharma issues that we've talked about before. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Take The Answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion on the go. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. You've got Dr. Mark and Larry Jones, and we're here with Ken Peach as well, and we're talking about our predictions for trends of 2023, right. uh, getting a little uh, extra angles here. Really appreciate yep. you being here, Ken. Yep. Glad uh, so, to have you today, Ken. Yeah. Always yeah. enjoy joining you. All right. Well, what's, you know, what's our next one on yeah, the list we're here, We're going to talk a little bit. You know, cybersecurity of healthcare and personal health information uh, is obviously a big thing. you yep. got the HIPAA violations yep. and all. Uh, it, it's it predicted that 5% of peop- of these major healthcare organizations net profits are going to go towards cybersecurity improvement. Um you know when you look at the penalties for making an error yep. on securing patient data right. you understand why. Exactly. And what's a little frightening and and this is something that comes up a lot with these independent physicians we talk about because whether you're an independent physician or you're a big hospital the penalties, the financial penalties for having a breach 
are enormous. It is huge. And it's yep. linked to the number of case breach, you know, how many patients are involved, but it would immediately bankrupt any any independent physician, right? Absolutely. And so then you would hope that, you know, maybe that's not who's targeted, maybe they're not holding that that many that many files, that yep. much data, but we're paying a lot of money to protect that yep. data. A lot of folks have gone completely away from keeping their own server yep. because at, at the end, of the, I mean, you know, we have a server, we have it in a locked room, right. we have the locked right. room is in a locked building, you know, and it goes on and on, but right. that's not enough. If somebody right. gets a hold of that server, you've got thousands of records on there. Yeah. Well, the large health systems, Dr. Mark, that are concerned about this is, is really ramped up for a couple of reasons. As you know, health equity and access to health care is mm-hmm. a big issue, sure. particularly in these remote rural areas. Right. You're looking at access through computers and, and information that has to be protected. And it has, has to be shared. shared. And it has to be right. shared. Right. So there yep. creates the issue for more cybersecurity improvement among yep. data sharing. Yeah. And so pretty much all, all those are going to like uh, the private offices are gone, gone to cloud-based, yep. but that, that doesn't make them impenetrable by any right. means. Right. It just keeps somebody from bashing a window out and then grabbing a server, you still have the the security levels that you're concerned about. And when you're looking at the big EMR companies, they're probably spending the majority of their of their profits on both development and protection. Yeah. In last year in twenty twenty two, there was two hundred million dollars paid to hackers that took over private information from health systems and, and shut them and, down and shut them down to get to r- the ransomware. Yeah. $200 million were paid to ransomware last Inc- year. Yeah. Dr. Mark. Uh, that, that sounds low to me. I mean, I tell you, I mean, that's, that I mean, sounds, cause you, cause that's you saw a lot of money. <laughs> well, I mean, but you, you think of the size of, yeah. of the market. Yeah. I mean, the, the scary thing is, is the, the ransomware is going to get better. Yeah. And it is, it, it's literally like two armies. Yep. You know, you've got the folks, you know, if you want to say hackers or whatever, and then you've got the anti-hackers. Yeah. And there's just cash going back and forth, one trying to build the walls yeah. against the other, and, and they're they're using the same technology. Yep. You know, the people that can make yep. it are those same ones that can break it. Exactly. Well, the way that I look at it, I take it down to a personal level. Think of it as, what if my relationship with my bank was hacked into ransomware, and they told me, and the bank, you have to pay X. Yeah, to even get access to your money. Yep. No, it is. That it, scares me. Yep. Yeah, no, and and that's that, and that's kind, kind of what's happening in healthcare. Well, and, and that's what's yeah. happened in the banking industry yeah, too. And it's the banking industry too, and yeah. in the shipping industry, yeah. and you yeah. know there have been all sorts of uh, yeah. billion dollar catastrophes yeah. set yeah. up by some yeah. some simple cyber attacks. So, right, right. so we're definitely going to see an increase in coverage on that issue mm-hmm. and an, an increase on expenditure. No question yeah. about it. Well, the IP Association of America is having their national meeting in March here in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm hosting a payer panel with four of the major payers. And one of the questions on that panel is, what is your organization doing to protect uh, your members your and the personal health information based on cybersecurity? Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what their, informa- their, their well, results are. I, the, I, Go ahead. I was going to say I learned this the hard way, not from a standpoint of as a health care administrator. That's right. But uh, a couple of years ago, talking to one of the health plans, and they were ready to go ahead and use our service, and they said, "You're high trust, right?" And I said, "No, I'm not high trust." Well, you got to get high trust. That's going to be about a fifty thousand dollar investment in two years' work. Yeah, yeah. No, it is, and I think it's actually. I I had a similar question. We were looking at a, a communications network, and and in order to talk to a hospital, and this this is the kind of thing that holds no data. But basically, a, uh, a a telemedicine setup holds absolutely no data. 
but they need high trust. Yeah. And I think we were up at 75 grand uh, in order to get high yeah. trust and it would yeah. take two years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, every time we have like a shutdown that we had in the airlines just a couple yes. months ago, uh-huh. it, everybody in America that has any knowledge of cybersecurity, it has to pop into their mind who it's, hacked you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, how, how did it happen? How did it happen? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know if any of you guys uh, are participate in the uh, LifeLock company, you know, which is one of those. I'm very personal, familiar right? with them. Yep. So yep. you get you'll get emails on weekly about different data hacks. I do. And, I do get them. Yeah. It's, yep. So it's yep. like you know, if it's you find out that some yep. cell phone, come, oh, yep. well, that wasn't my carrier. I'm okay yep. there. Right. And uh, and there was a huge hack a few years back uh, in the yeah. VA system, and and I yeah. was in, I was involved in that one. Okay, and that one actually led to an identity theft. Well, this conversation so kind of maybe we need to get LifeLock as a sponsor, but yeah, is it a good program, Doctor? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. They've been, I've been very helpful. About it. Yep. Yeah, very helpful, very worthwhile. Yeah. Yep. How about you, Ken? I have protection because on my personal account, anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, we, any, do, we, yeah. we need to call them. We need to call yeah, them. Tell them listen to the. Yeah, say, listen, this we're is giving the free you some plug. This is the free plug. But we, you know, we we need to <laughs> we right. need to keep the lights on. So <laughs> we need right. to keep our data protected. That's so right. yeah, we'll kind of work on yeah. all that. So, so Doctor Mark, talk a little bit about artificial intelligence in diagnosis of patients and all things AI. So I mean, I will start with the the fear of AI in medicine is the first thing that people think about. They think about you know, robotic decision-making, and, and yep. that's that's not what AI is no. in medicine. Not in, not in it's, healthcare. No, it's right. basically data analysis and relating frequency of a data point to a frequency of an outcome or a diagnosis. So the best example, I think, is, you know, looking at x-rays. Um, and and let's, let's go with mammograms. And spe- specifically, we, okay. we see a lot of mammograms every year. And when they have data that says... Well, here was a finding on 10 million mammograms that led to the outcome of a patient who required a biopsy that actually had a cancer that needed to be addressed. Right. So that that way, if you link that AI into the system and the system picks up, oh, that's one of those findings, it's going to tag that and say highly suspicious. Yeah. Right. Right now, we, we've done that. In a non-artificial way, we've done it with just statistics for many, right, many years, right, right. and radiologists will grade a finding as being one level yeah. to another as, as how suspicious yeah. it is. Right. So this is more automated based on data collection. Well, let me throw something out to both of uh, you, Dr. Mark and Ken. When you look at AI, AI and you tie it into the electronic health record for the EMR system for physicians and hospitals, where can the improvement be? in regards to artificial intelligence when it comes to taking the burden off of physicians in regards so, to that. So, you want to speak to that, Ken? Well, we're in the process of looking at both device remote patient monitoring and device-less sure. remote patient okay. monitoring. So, you know, the kinds of devices, obviously, that are monitoring the patients in between our visits to their home. And one of the things that we're looking at now is the AI component. So you're not just looking at two or three indicators, but you've got something back there that's looking at this and going, okay, based on the experience, as you mentioned, Dr. Mark, of of all of these patients, maybe these two or three indicators are telling us more than we would see otherwise. Correct. Mm -hmm. And it's it's like the old term, garbage in, garbage out, right? So the data that's put in or the data that's collected is what is used to see how good the system is. Right. So then the analytics of the system use that data. So if that data isn't accurate, like when you talk about EMR, yep. if that data is not accurately put in the right place, the right time, the right way, then the AI is is fallible. Right. So right. whereas with the home monitoring, it's kind of nice because you're looking for a specific data set 
you know, maybe you're looking at blood pressure or heart rate and, mm-hmm. and you're seeing that. And and at any one moment, if I see that blood pressure go, oh, you know, that's not so bad. But if there was a series that created a pattern that the computer is going to recognize, boom, now, yeah. now, now we've got some yeah. valuable information. And Dr. Mark, let's take that one step further. How does AI as a physician help you with better patient outcomes? Well, I think we're still in the early stages. Okay. And we're still in the early stages. And, and there are certain areas where it's being used. What we like to refer to as some of the best practices. And, and the best practices are, again, based on analytics and outcomes. But they haven't been automated. Right. So we just, we're just not there yet. Yeah. I think that the technology is absolutely there, but we need to learn how to put the information in correctly. Mm-hmm. And I think the answer will be an EMR that makes sense and that, that covers the, the mask of what the entire medical system is working on. You can't right. have right. one set that does the radiologic findings and another set that does labs and another set that does actually patient communication, patient evaluation. Okay. Okay. It's got to be a combined thing because right. the more data points you have, the more effective the AI, AI becomes. And the diagnosis yeah. and outcome. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, Ken, you mentioned earlier uh, remote patient monitoring. You know, we've just entered, in, and Dr. Mark and I, on a, an ACO REACH program, the Realizing Equity Access and Community Health for straight Medicare patients, and we've teamed up with CVS Health as our partner here in Florida. I was on a long call the other day, and we were talking about how do we implement remote patient monitoring into the program and the stats from the CVS health people indicate that there really is not a lot of good data on cost savings and improvements as to what remote patient monitoring actually does. Can you talk to that? In our case, I really we, we may be looking defense. at it. Yeah. <laughs> we may be looking at it a little bit differently. Yeah. From our standpoint, it's as much a capacity and an early warning component as anything else, because we're seeing these individuals, our paramedicine program, we're seeing them on a on generally on a weekly basis anyway. But if the paramedic is there on a Tuesday and on Thursday, let's say blood pressure spikes or there's something else going on, and that person's not scheduled to be seen until the following Tuesday. When that information shows up on the remote patient monitoring, we can get back in there faster. Uh, so it yeah. and and we can manage capacity of the numbers of individuals that our paramedics are seeing. If if you're routine and nothing's showing up, then we can prioritize. Right. So it's early detection. So yeah. so it's the yeah. value of early yeah. detection. Yeah. For, for, definitely, you hear stories all the time about someone who there's a. There's two sides of the story. One is a happen chance that they they actually move their appointment and, and an earlier appointment just randomly came up and they come in and they have a significant finding and they end out going yep. from your office to the hospital or ER to the hospital. I mean, or the flip side of that, when, gee, if they had been in, they've been kind of you know, having some chest pain for a couple of days. They thought, you know what? I've got an appointment in two days. I'm not dying here. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it can, it can be it too could late. It be serious. But, but where that patient monitoring takes you to one one step and then AI is sort of a it's a push system where AI taps you on the shoulder and says, "Hey, you need to schedule this patient." There's right? a red flag here. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so we just have yeah. to we have to learn to trust it and we're not going to trust it until the analytics match, yeah. you know, what our clinical outcomes yeah. are. And in value-based care, Dr. Mark, I, my my uh, comeback on that when they said there's not a lot of data to prove that it's a return on your investment right. was it's the touch point, just like what you were talking yep. about. It's the touch point. The number of the interactions. Patient, yeah, yep. the number of interactions to make sure that we're managing chronic illness, keeping it out from a red flag right. area. Okay. 
Well, I think yeah. we made it through our list. We and did. so yeah, there we are. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Ken about his organization yep. and get getting yeah. more of a deep dive there. And I've got a little drug update, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Take The Answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in, iHeart, and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion, on the go. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. This is Dr. Mark. I'm here with Larry Jones. And Larry, I'm going to have you introduce Ken one more time. Okay. You know, Ken Peach is the executive director of the Health Council of East Central Florida. Uh, We've known Ken for a while. He's been on the show a couple times. And, you know, I want to talk to Ken about what is the purpose of the Health Council of East Central Florida. And then I know you've got some other objectives that you're, you're doing as well. So you want to talk about that, Ken? But we're Really happy to have you today. Well, thank you both. And um, the the local health councils were actually a way to decentralize health planning in 1982. So there's 11 of them that cover all 67 counties in Florida. Um, They were set up as 501c3s, so we're a quasi-public agency, if you will. And ours happens to cover Brevard, Orange, Osceola, and Seminole counties. Um, We work on district health planning. We look at uh, what are the needs, uh, Mm -hmm. needs assessments. We advise uh, ACA, the state administration on healthcare issues and resource allocations, uh, public awareness. And we do a lot in the area of community health improvement initiatives. um, And we also collect data and and studies. But um, we've gone a little bit further. I I always tell people each health council pretty much stands on two things. One, what's going on in the environment that it serves. And two, who's the executive director? (laughs) Right, right. It tends because we're smaller organizations. And so in our case, we've moved uh, in the 12 years I've been there from pure information to services. So we put in a cancer collaborative in seven counties that we serve. Um, we've also... We and just, what does that mean, Ken, uh, cancer collaborative? This is the cancer. The member organizations are uh, hospitals, large medical groups, oncology nurses, anybody dealing with cancer. And we're focused on prevention. We're prevention on, on access and ultimately on survivorship support as well. So we have the opportunity then to help plan cancer uh, planning for the state of Florida. There's a cancer plan that was just put out last year uh, through 2050, I'm sorry, through 2025, and it looks at uh, what are the major issues from a cancer standpoint. Um, I will share with you, we just received a grant last Friday on this. Uh, we will be using our paramedics to take radon screening in the home. Oh, wow. 50% of lung wow. cancer in the state of Florida Exposure. is tied back to sure. radon exposure. So we're going to begin looking at that and providing that as an additional service that it's we like provide. like a Geiger counter, home. basically? They're little yeah. electronic devices, yeah. Yeah. about $150 yeah. a piece. Yeah. You leave them in for a week, and if you've got an indication of four or more on that device, then you go to a formal 
testing process, yeah. which we're not qualified to do, and, and remediation yeah, but, but, of the home. Yeah. But again, it's touches and it's it's yeah. direction, early yeah. detection. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's I would think that fun, the yeah. newer homes, it's not an issue, but the older homes, like my home's 38 years old. We built it in 1985. I'd love to have that done. Well, it's actually not yeah. the age of the home, as it can. It's, 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 it's actually the yeah. problem we have in Florida is we're not the highest risk around the country. There right. are areas that are higher based on the geography or okay. the geology. The issue here is the homes are closed up. We yep. close them from the humidity. Yeah. Nobody know. opens their windows in yep. Florida. Yes. Right. That's and true. so right. we're yeah. sealing you know, things inside. That's the biggest issue. The state actually has a website that we're using to identify where the highest risk zip codes in Central Florida, in the areas we serve. And then that determines in part, you know, where we go with this. Uh, so, first. Ken, how would someone in this radon program get in touch with the council and what can you do to help them? This is, again, something that our, first of all, we have community paramedicine. That's aside from the cancer program. That program, what we do differently is we're not um, in the model like an EMS model. We don't go out to episodic care episodes. Right. Instead, what we do is we look at longitudinal care over time. So a physician will identify that this is a patient that I'm concerned about. They have a high risk of ending up in the emergency department. They're not stable. Uh, they may be a congestive heart failure, COPD, kidney disease, whatever it is. I think I want to put them in care. And so they literally will refer that individual into our care, and we'll see them over the course, generally 60 to 90 days. And we'll look at uh, the assessment of not only their clinical condition and monitoring, we'll provide them with self-care education that reinforces what the physician has been telling them. But we also look at uh, their environment, their living environment. And this is what, in the past show, we talked about some of the horrible things we found that people are facing uh, out there. So in this particular model, it really comes from your physician referral. So listeners could ask their physician, uh, maybe for themselves, maybe for a parent or whatever it is, is this something that they could obtain? Can you give our listeners a little idea? You've mentioned a couple of times your paramedic program. Kind of expand on that a little bit. We, um, uh, and again, when it comes down to the individual background, I was a volunteer first responder in New Jersey many, many years ago, but mm-hmm. I've always kept an eye on the delivery of medicine in the field, so to speak, outside right. of the traditional setting. And a number of years ago, we started to see where shortages of primary care out in the Midwest and Western states, that they began to use community paramedicine as a, a way to, to fill or, or supplement that. Um, and I thought back in 2016, I wonder if we could do that. In the course of five grants, uh, we raised enough money to pilot this with one car, one used car, and one paramedic. He's still with us today, and we've got 12 paramedics <laughs> in six car? counties. No, I'm car's still with oh, us, wow, too. Wow, man, you guys 12 are... 12 paramedics now? We're up to 12, oh, wow. yes. And uh, we just formed, within the last three weeks, a new company. Uh, Caramedics is a program of the nonprofit health council. The new company is Mobile Medics Plus, and it was formed because we have uh, test pilots underway with some large companies that are multi-state, and this will allow us now to begin to expand out into these additional counties in Florida and then potentially uh, out of state as well uh, using this concept. Uh, um, and, you know, Dr. Mark, we actually use care medics yes. with, in our okay. care management program right. when, we, when it's needed. Yeah. Well, we've talked about the the advantage to having the paramedics walk into an environment because they're trained to evaluate the environment, not just walk up and see the patient. I mean, obviously, that's that's primary but they're looking around at the environment. And I love the tie-in with, with radon because radon's part of our environment. It's just, you know, it's it's all over the place. It's invisible. And it's invisible. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, it's a natural occurring thing. So, but it's this connection we've known for a long time that people with exposure have a higher incidence of lung cancer. So 
your cancer area. I mean, I just love the way that you put dots together and and bring them through because that's a that's a super easy way to make a huge impact. You've got these ladies and gentlemen that know they're trained to evaluate an environment. They're going to be all over this radon thing, right? I and love then, this. And then laying in an outcome. So, so just the whole model that you've developed, this is just one example, yep. and, but it, it's, it's tremendously impactful. And I'm sure it's not the case in the other, I mean, some of the other 11 institutions in the state are doing different things. <laughs> yep. but, but, man, I, I really think, you know, this is something we, we need to get out there. It's a, a simple model, and maybe that's your, your Mobile Medic Plus will do exactly that. As a for-profit company. You yeah. Know, you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned the paramedic program, mm-hmm. but also we're talking, we, we're using them also for annual wellness visits as yep. well as that touch point for managing chronic illnesses. Sure. They're going to identify, yeah. early identify risk now factors. Now you throw radon say, yeah. in the things. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty well, cool. The, the interesting piece, yeah. though, you know, what we were talking about before with the issue with Medicaid mm-hmm. is the fact mm-hmm. that also with this declaration taking place in May, there is a t- the clock begins on how long direct supervision by a physician can be done through telehealth. That's right. going away. Right. That is yes. part of That's the going to be a discussion. major impact. Yep. That's going to eliminate yep. the ability to do uh, yep. transition care management, annual wellness visits, yep. and others using yep. telehealth, unfortunately. However, Ken, CMS has already, and HHS has already indicated that through the end of 2023, they will continue the telehealth program, meaning they'll pay physicians an office visit for a telehealth. Right. But again, that could be revised if this national well, public well, emergency and it's, and goes it's away. Not, it's not just that office yep. visit. It's that longitudinal Health, you know, so and and the and the mental health components yeah. that 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 we've really seen a, a huge uptick on. Yeah. So very very concerning. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I think I, their concern, I think, is the traditional telehealth, where you've got a consumer on one end and right. a clinician on the other. Whereas in our case, we have clinicians on both ends. Yes, because when we mm-hmm. do a clinical consult, we have a physician or a, pra- a nurse practitioner or a pharmacist on the other end of that link. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more effective um, from a and. But I I understand their concern about direct supervision. Sure, sure, sure. The other model. And yep. Ken, when you you mentioned earlier when the in your opening that you guys are kind of an advisor to ACA. We Explain actually, that. we are the, um, it used to be a lot of fun when we had a certificate of need. <laughs> it used to be. <laughs> it used to when be. we had certificate of need for hospitals as well as nursing homes. We still have it for nursing homes, not mm-hmm. hospitals anymore. Um, part of our job was to go out and make sure that the footings were under, there was under construction. So I, in essence, got the chance to approve the Apopka Hospital, wow. the Poinciana Hospital. Anytime a new building was under construction, I had to sign off and file a report. I didn't make decisions, but I filed the you information had an that I needed. Out and do right. the no, no, I, yeah. no, I actually went out, you took did pictures, oh, wow. and filed a report. That was part of my job. Hidden talents, Ken. Uh, we also <laughs> did public hearings, and we had public hearings that were got pretty hot about some of the issues, but particularly between the children's hospitals in the community in terms of services that they wanted to add. And um, I just remember people out a line outside the door during our public hearings. Right. And that's all gone away. It has. And, you know, it's interesting the the impact on like redundant care. um, Yeah, we'll have to do a show on just that. Like when, when, when we let it go strictly like, hey, you know what? You want to do it? You want to spend the money? Then spend the money. I don't know if you remember the Health Systems Agency years ago, if you were in Florida at the time. Um, this was like in the late 60s, early 70s. My, my dad was, he was a, a, actually a marine biologist and was on this council, and, and he had to travel to Tallahassee and meet with the folks. It was the beginning of the CON process where somebody might say, well, we're going 
we're going to buy a new CT scanner. And so this group would look and go, well, you know, there are four CT scanners within X number of miles. That would be a waste of money. And even though it was their money, they weren't allowed to they, do it. They didn't give them so, the permission. So, so that, was, that kind of went on, and it was interesting yeah. in the CON process. And then when it went away, I mean, it, it's, it's the Wild West now. And then it evolved to hospitals. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, yeah. they brought it to hospitals in the very beginning. Right. So right. they would tell okay. a hospital, like you know, when the MRIs yeah. came along, like, well, no, you can't. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to have an, we're going to we're going to approve the, this over here. So so like in Orlando, where we have three children's hospitals, that wouldn't happen in that in that early process. But when it went to the CON process, it became a well, we don't want you to do it, but if you do this, this, and this, we'll let you do it. It became a negotiation, and so once we dropped it completely. There's no negotiation, people spending money, and I, I got to tell you, Larry, it's one of the reasons our healthcare costs are so high. Exactly, is that that people don't always do the the most wise thing because if you right. are in an organization and you've dedicated your life to this, you know yeah. you're you're biased. I'm biased. I'm biased for your organizations. Yeah. I'm yeah. parts of. Yeah. You can't if you don't take any outside advice. Yeah. Well, the information is biased. Yeah. 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 Every everything's gonna yeah. gonna lead you down a yeah. path that that may not be as as. Yeah. Uh, as easy as you think it's you know, going to as be. We, as we shutting down this segment, Dr. Mark, I want to mention there's an article in the paper today talking about uh, Governor DeSantis and our administration is proposing a $115 billion budget for the state of Florida. And it had all kinds of things in there today. Front page, Orlando Sentinel, talking about how much is going to education, how much is going to fire department and all that. There was not one mention of what the percentage of Medicaid is going it oh, was really? not even not in, there? in there. Wow. That... Didn't even talk about health care in the budget at all. And the bottom line is, it's over 50% of the budget. Really? But just not, not reported, not discussed? The Orlando Sentinel did not report it. Interesting. Interesting. I thought that was quite quite interesting. I, they're they're going to let out information little bits at a yeah. time, I'm thinking. Well, you know, we talk about the truth about U.S. health care, and I think it's important that we point these things out. Well, I think transparency is, is part, yes. of that, part of that yes. process. Well, Ken, we're going to continue the same conversation when we get back and talk a little bit more about uh, your organization and some of the cool things that uh, you guys have been doing over the decades. We'll be right back. You're listening to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. We're going to a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion on all things healthcare with Dr. Mark and Larry. Take the answer with you wherever you go. TheAnswerOrlando.com. Tune in. iHeart and Odyssey.com. News, opinion, passion. On the go. AM 950, FM 94.9. The Answer. Navigate the healthcare process like never before. Due to popular demand, Healthcare Now is also airing on Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Join me, Larry Jones, and Dr. Mark on Healthcare Now, Thursdays at 7 p.m. and Saturdays at 1. AM 950, FM 94.9, The Answer, and at TheAnswerOrlando.com. Welcome back to Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. And now let's head back into the Healthcare Now studios with Dr. Mark and Larry. Once again, you found Dr. Mark and Larry Jones. We're here with Ken Peach, and we are, I tell you, this has been a show that's just flown by as many of our shows. I want to point out that Ken has now appeared in approximately 3% of our shows. That's right. It's an easy number because we just we just hit 100 a little bit ago. So so December next year 15th, when you're here, I won't be able to do the percentage anymore, So, but you can try to keep it up. And now this, was, this is great, and we're talking a lot about your organization, and we left... 
just discussing how you know it's now this competitive field. We've got three children's hospitals in the Orlando area, and it's not just the children's hospitals that are having these kinds of competitions, is it? No, it's it's actually the acute care hospitals as well, because you may have seen recently the announcement that a company out of Texas is going to build a micro hospital just south of Highway 50 in Claremont. Right. Um, and you already have South Lake Hospital. I actually started my healthcare career there in the early 80s. Um, and that's been there forever, as the first as the community hospital. And then you also have the Adventist Health System building out there as well. Sure. I don't know how many hospitals you need. The community is much larger than when I moved there in the 1980s, but it's... Yeah. What is a micro-hospital? What is that? The micro-hospital they're talking about is six to eight beds, I believe. They're talking about 10 staff on board at a time. Um, and the idea is we have the freestanding emergency department. So, yeah, you take the freestanding emergency department and you add some inpatient beds, basic imaging, and lab, and that's a micro-hospital. Wow. Is that just a way, Dr. Mark, to divert it to a 23-hour stay? Well, in, in a sense. And, yeah. and I know that the freestanding hospitals, like, like uh, the, that we've—freestanding ERs, rather, that's been their growth model because— they sort of got out of that mindset of CON, of, of Certificate of Need, and said that, well, we can get a footprint here and show that it's community need, and it's really not a, a governmental issue, right? Um, it's a market issue. And so the micro-hospital, I've never heard that term, but I, I guess in a sense we have a number of those in the area, both with Orlando Health and Advent Health and HCA, that are that would be considered micro-hospitals. Well, but they don't have the inpatient capacity there that this right. will have. I think where you see these is, you're, and you're going to see them, is nationwide where we're seeing hospitals closing down. Sure. In these small yeah. communities. Yeah. And we've, we we've talked about yeah. that for right. the whole and show. Yeah. I guess we, it's yeah. much less capital to start something yeah. small and let it grow. Yeah. That, or you take your existing hospital that you can't afford to support in a community anymore and you shrink it to a micro-hospital is another alternative. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want to say that I'm the uh, chief medical officer of a yeah. micro-hospital. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It feels know, kind of diminutive that, a little bit. Yeah. And Dr. Mark, I put that in the same category as these freestanding ERs. Yeah. No, it is. It's Well, it is yeah. definitely a way yeah. to to bill things differently. I mean, that was the freestanding ER part is they're not an urgent care center. They're That's an right. ER, so they can bill with those ER charges. Yep. And then this is going to allow for like some of the, the push for an outpatient surgery center to have more than just a 20... 24-hour stay yes. as has been expanded. Mm-hmm. And so I can, I mean, that's that's interesting. What's, what, do you remember the, na- the name of the company? Uh, New, I didn't even put Nutex, you on the spot. N-U-T-R-E-X or N-U-T-U-X, something like that. Okay. Well, I tell you, uh, it takes. So it's not one of our systems here locally. No, no, no. this is a company okay. out of Texas that apparently has okay. built a number of these, and mm-hmm. they look for areas of opportunity. The, the issue that comes out of this, you know, I think, again, is the tremendous expansion and the demand for the workforce. Well, you know, Dr. Mark, oh, we'll look at this. If he says they're coming out of Texas, think about all the rural, long rural mileage areas in Texas. Sure, sure. We ought to do a study on this company and see where they've gone. Yeah. Because that's a tremendous way to access health care. Well, I'll tell you that over the years, I've had different people bring different medical products and say, you know, hey, why don't we do this in Florida? Why don't we do this in Orlando? And this is the last place. I mean, they could be the most, you know, I'm going to go, they might be the most successful thing ever in Claremont. But this is the last place that I would personally invest because we have such high quality health care. We have and and everybody on the healthcare delivery side uh, corporately is is solid and they're willing to spend money to yeah. shut other things down. 
And so this would not be where I would play this game. But, Ken, you know, on the break we mentioned this. One of the big issues that we're facing today, and we talked about this being one of the trends of 2023, right. is is staffing. Yes. How are we staffing? Shortage. Micro or not, if there, if there are 10 staff in this micro hospital, that's 10 staffers that can't work at South Seminole, can't work, you know. At, and at, they're already at, short. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's they're right. tremendously yeah. pressured. No. So, that's yeah, a that, point, that's, that's a tough one. And and I would only imagine that, that their staffing model probably requires that they're not, they're not paying travelers. Yeah, you I know, mean, Optum you know. did a recent study on uh, health care workforce crisis, mm-hmm. kind of what you're talking about. And 83% of everyone that they interviewed and surveyed indicated that workforce disruption due to staffing was their number one issue. There's no question. I mean, I think workforce disruption yeah. in, in every industry today, yep. I mean, we, you know, with whether it's overexpansion by Amazon and then them having a large workforce yep. than they can handle or the hospitals, it's everywhere. Right. I mean, it's it's in it's in retail. I mean, when was the last time you went out to dinner? Yeah. Oh, we talked about this. Was it last week? Actually, it happened to me last night. Yeah, we went to dinner. There were tables everywhere. Yep. We waited twenty minutes because they didn't have any right. people to right. service. We, the I tables. think we were talking about that last week too. It just how, happened how, last night. Yep. Yeah. So, so that is yeah. a that's a big issue. That's very. I'm glad you brought that up. That's something we're going to have to look into and, and follow along, Ken. And we've seen elsewhere in some of these smaller communities, they're using um, PAs and nurse practitioners in their ER with no physician on site at all using telehealth from a larger medical facility. Sure, sure. We're certainly not seeing that here. No. But we are seeing that in some of the smaller communities around the country. Um, and, you know, because they yeah. just they can't stay. Are these it, actually classified as micro-hospitals? I'm not sure who termed it a okay. micro-hospital, Larry, and I'm not sure there's a firm yeah. definition for that. Mm-hmm. I just know that that's what they you know, called it. You know where I'm going, Dr. Mark, facility fees. Right, but this is going to definitely be an inpatient facility. So, so it's going it to be, be, be it'll be it'll be a hospital, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, the cuz the there's not really any defining part about how large the hospital has to be. It's really based on the services that that it represents. Right. right. So and this the length of stay. Concept really uh, was I thought was a really good concept out of Salt Lake City. They originally developed a plan that showed every type of delivery model for that particular health system had a, a, a number to it. So if you was a primary care practice, it was a number one. If you were in urgent care, maybe you were a two and so forth. And they mapped and they looked and they said, okay, given the fact that somebody will have to travel for this up to two miles, then we can have a number three we can put here and a five there. And I thought, this is brilliant. There's some logic to building the network. What I didn't think about was that their competitor then said, yes, we need to do the same thing. And that's what you see where you see the overbuilding because each system then is building what it needs. And we end up with um, facilities across the street from yeah. each other, which we certainly have. Absolutely. In and, you know, yeah. back to Dr. Mark's comment, I mean, we've got an urgent care on every other corner and we have a freestanding entity uh, ER on about every half a mile. Yeah, and I think the market, last count so. was 24 freestanding ERs, if I'm and not mistaken, gone up in from about two in about a year. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and we literally have some. You can stand in one parking lot and see the competitor. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just Reinhardt right. Road up in Absolutely. Lake Mary. Yeah, what a, that's it's, insane. It's, up it there. is. It is crazy. <laughs> and you know, and right when you think it's not going to work, it might. You yeah. know, because there there are there are ways yeah. to do things. Right. How I many hundreds of millions of dollars are they putting into this thing on Reinhardt Road alone? Oh, you can you can count it up. You it's, can, it's incredible. It's, it's, it's a it's a per square foot calculation. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty it's pretty straightforward. And what they're doing is they're buying larger plots of land behind those those ERs to, to give them opportunities later. But but we've you know we see this in a lot of different markets, and it 
it is concerning, but the biggest concern for for me as a physician is that if you take these specialty centers and split them up, and I'll go back, if you, if, I apologize, but we'll go back to the children's hospital side. Um, you know, a lot of the diseases that we treat are quite rare. And if you split those up, so now the doctors that are trained to take care of these rare diseases are now seeing a third of the ones they would normally see in the same population, then how do you grow in experience? And how do you grow in, in AI? How do you connect the points of the data points? And we're really diluting our ability to get better. And, and that, that's, a huge, that's a huge concern. And if you go back to models that we've talked about, like the Michael Porter model of having centers of excellence yep. where, where you have areas where I, I think that the, probably the best example is the, uh, in, in solid organ transplantation that UNOS follows it, says this is a center, that's not a center, follows the numbers. Right. So that's a really good example of following outcome information and saying, yes. you know, this is just a better place to do it. And when it's a better place, it's a less expensive place. And what we're what we're describing here is the opposite of that, and that's very concerning. Yeah. And we, we, you know, when you mentioned children's hospitals, the particular issue that we had, it was not only a fight within the internal area, but it was also a fight from hospitals from St. Petersburg and Gainesville. Okay. And what was the impact on their volume that they were pulling out of yeah. Orlando at the time? And right, to your right. point, doctor, about how many individual, you know, how many cases did you need to maintain the level yeah. of quality? Yeah, and, and when we train physicians, we track what kind of cases and what kind of patients they see. They have to have to see a certain number of a certain kind of thing. And it's not just physicians, nurse, nurse practitioners. We're tracking that, that these ETS systems that, that look at how many patients with headache did you see? How many patients with melanoma did you see? And in surgery, you know, how many of these, these index cases have you done? And if you haven't done enough of them, first of all, you can't matriculate on and get your get your boards. And secondly, you sort of revisit whether that training center can still be a training center. So you could have a great training center in a city and then have it sort of sort of pirated by these micro hospitals or whatever, you know, whatever group comes in and they start drawing it away. And suddenly the training center dies. And of course, that's become near and dear to my heart. Yeah. I mean, through my whole career, exactly. and then especially and now, now, where you are now. So, yeah. if you start diluting experiences, we're diluting, you know, training those physicians of tomorrow, and 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 nurse practitioners, and PAs, and everyone. So, I mean, it's that's really concerning. You bring up a great point. You know, we've we've spent the last three shows talking about predictions, challenges, expectations for 2023. The one thing that we know, we're early in the year in 2023. Healthcare for 2023 is not going to be boring. No, there's there's going to be a lot going on, and you know, and 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 it's sort of the rebound after all we could talk about was COVID. Uh, then we had That's a right. year where we didn't have to do that, and now I think we've got the gumption, and the the corporations have got the the activity together, you know, kind of see what the future could hold, you know, financially, uh, and there is there's going to be a huge amount of activity, and and with that activity will be failure. Um, and I, you right. can only hope at the end of the day that we all learn a little something and we can deliver health care with, with better outcomes right. and, and, right. and lower cost. You know, when next week when we come back, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. We didn't get to it today. We're going to go back to drug costs a little bit and talk about how the U.S. Patent Office in America deals with branded drugs and the protection of these branded drugs 
in uh, in their protection of the their patents. Yeah, and if our listeners want to do a little homework, look yeah. up biosimilars. You right. can do a good education on biosimilars. When you look it up on your yep. on your search engine, yep. skip everything that says add yep. and go down to the first thing that doesn't. Right. And they can also look up Humera. Yeah, exactly. Because that's what we're going to talk yep. about. Sounds Dr. good. Dr. Mark, we're also going to talk about the secret to great health, mainly by experts in the field. There you go. Next week. Well, if people don't turn in for that, Pete, uh, you know, I'm, uh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, Ken, thanks so much. So My pleasure. Ken, Ken Peach pleasure. here yeah. here for a third time, I believe. Glad to have you today, Ken. And, and we're, we're going to have you back. Yeah. Hope we, didn't, you. we didn't beat you up too much today, no, did no, we? No. no, great. All right, Larry, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week, Dr. Mark. Thank you for joining us today on Healthcare Now. To find the answers you are looking for or have a question, you can reach Larry and Dr. Mark by emailing your questions and comments to follow us at healthcarenow.us. And we'll continue our discussion same time next week on navigating our complex healthcare system on Healthcare Now. On Healthcare Now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com salemnow.com <laughs> 